Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Paul Moore of Wellings Capital. But before we dive in, I wanted to ask a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? Uh, This helps us get more listeners, and it also encourages me to know that you're tuning in. So thanks for taking the time to do that. All right, let's dive in. Paul Moore is the managing director of three commercial real estate investment funds at Wellings Capital. Prior to this, he worked with Ford Motor Company and also separately ran his own staffing firm where he was a finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year two years straight. After this, Paul began investing in real estate and founded multiple investment and development companies. He has appeared on big networks such as HGTV, Fox Business, and Bigger Pockets. He also co-hosts two podcasts, I, I got to give you props for that because running one is is more than enough work. Two, uh, kudos. Uh, the podcasts are called "The Art of Investing" and "How to Lose Money." Paul, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, can you start out, please, by telling us your story and how you got into manufactured housing? Yeah. So um, I. When I sold my company in 1997, I moved to the Blue Ridge Mountains to start a nonprofit organization to reach out to international students studying in the US. And we had a lot of fun with that, but I was a 34 year old high energy driven entrepreneur. And I wanted to do like these weekend retreats three times a month. And the volunteers I had wanted to do it three times a year. So. <laughs> I was getting pretty bored and having really just kind of a crisis. I'm, you know, like I had this high energy, I had money in the bank and I thought I was an investor. I thought, you know, I'm an investor now, but I was really more of a speculator. I was a full-time speculator is what I was, Andrew. And I lost a lot of money and I made a lot of painful decisions. I made money along the way as well, but I eventually got into flipping homes and uh, we flipped houses. Then we flipped waterfront lots at a beautiful resort lake in Virginia. Then I built some homes, did a website. And I always wondered how to get involved in commercial real estate, but I wasn't sure how. And um, in 2011, we'd invested in oil and gas in North Dakota, another <laughs> speculation. And uh, we lost money on that. But we noticed that there were, was a huge housing shortage. And so we built a multifamily complex and then another one for oil workers in North Dakota, and it went extremely well. (laughs) And so I decided to stay in multifamily. I ended up writing a book, humbly entitled The Perfect Investment. And uh, I got uh, into multifamily. I told my dear wife I'd always stay in multifamily. But lo and behold, we decided to expand to mobile home parks and self-storage after several years. What happened is we beat our head against the wall, Andrew, for years looking for a multifamily that made sense. And I know I don't look it, but I'm actually in my mid fifties and you don't have to say what I really look like. And uh, I, we, my partners and I were just 
like unwilling to overpay. Cap rates were at a record compressed level. People were overpaying in my book, five, 10, 20% for some of these multifamily, even more. And I heard a, I heard a, a very famous investor from a stage in your state. And I was uh, there and he, a multifamily guy. And he said, it doesn't matter whatever you have to pay for apartments, just buy them. They're always going to go up. Just buy. And I thought, I literally thought he was joking and he was going to make a punchline, but he didn't. It was probably Grant thought, Cardone, wasn't it? I, I'm not going to say, but you may be right. <laughs> but actually his quote went around the world after that, the internet. I didn't know that that quote would become famous. And um, so at any rate, I thought, you know what? I've got to find something else to do that makes sense. And so you remember the, um, you're a little too young for this probably, Andrew, but there was a, an ad campaign where pork manufacturers back in the 90s were trying to figure out how to rebrand. And they said, go eat pork. It's the other white meat. And, and <laughs> it's, I don't know if that's even true or not, but it doesn't seem right. But I decided to turn to mobile home parks, the other multifamily. Wow, that is an amazing story. Uh, I love love the analogy there. So I have to I have to bring this up, right? The perfect investment book that you wrote about multifamily investing. Yeah. You know, what did you learn from that? That kind of had maybe you saw some similarities, or or how mm -hmm. did that bring you to mobile home parks? You know, was it just the yield that attracted you, or how did you end up uh, in in trailer parks? Yeah, so um, I will say that I wrote the book called The Perfect Investment. It was originally called The Definitive Guide to Multifamily Investing. And a friend of mine who was reviewing the book said, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to buy that. It kind of, sounds kind of boring. You need to be more like think and grow rich or something. He said, why don't you make it an epic title? Didn't you tell me that multifamily was the perfect investment? And I said, well, yeah, with all the demographics, aligning for years to come and boomers turning to multifamily and Gen Z and millennials doing more multifamily and the supply and demand inequity in major suburbs, all this stuff lined up to make me think it was the perfect investment. And so that's what we humbly entitled the book. And it's still selling and it's I still get questions almost every week from people who've read the book and want to talk about it. But you know, the perfect investment's no longer perfect, Andrew, if it's overpriced. I mean, nothing's perfect if it's overpriced. And so I still believe in multifamily. But a lot of those truths uh, apply to mobile home park investing as well. I mean, look at this. 10,000 people turn 65 every day. Yet six in 10 have less than $10,000 save for retirement. Now, a lot of them have home equity, and some of them will trade that home equity in to uh, live a mobile home park lifestyle. And I know a doctor who retired, he had a great career, and he had a lot of money, but he actually retired to a mobile home and a nice park. And um, I just think that there really is an affordable housing crisis. I mean, we can see what's happening in the economy, there's always something happening, even when times are good. But, you know, a lot of people need a place to live and can't afford apartments, and they can't afford 
a single family residence right now, but they can afford a mobile home or a mobile home park, uh, you know, lot rent. And so it's a very exciting place to be. It's the only asset type that I know of that has a diminishing supply and an increasing demand every year. That's the big thing that, that hooked me, you know, and, and we discussed that in a previous episode, but I think if you really think about that, that's powerful, you know, yeah. and there's that artificial kind of barrier to entry barrier to, to development. So right. that's awesome. Uh, Paul, what are the most important things that passive investors, you know, LPs need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? And I know you guys have a fund, uh, but maybe you can kind of elaborate on uh, some of the assets that, that you guys are purchasing yeah. and so forth. I think the most important factor always is finding the right syndicator, the right operator. And if, you know, there, there's a lot of people who go out and they, they find the person with the best marketing, or they just discover something like a kid on Christmas morning, they're so excited about it and they go find the first operator that they come across. And of course, if they sounds good, you know, they're likely going to consider investing. But I recommend, I just happen to have this book here. It's called The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. And Brian talks in detail here about how to find the right syndicator and the importance of that. And so to answer the question, I think that if you're going to be an LP investor, you need to go through the grueling process. If you're going to give somebody, I mean, if you're a billionaire and you're going to give them 25,000, it's one thing. But if you're like most of us and you know that 50 or 100,000 you're going to invest is really important to you, and it should be, I'd say go through the process. Go meet the syndicator in person. Go see some of their properties in person. Check their debt structure. And you know, there's 50 other questions I would ask to make sure you've got the right person. As far as the property level, Andrew, you know, you know all this, you know, having a, a super Walmart nearby is kind of uh, a thing that we like to look for. Uh, public sewer and water is something we like to look for. Some potential upside, like, you know, mom and pops. I mean, mom and pops are the key to this business, I think. What, what, what you tell me the right number. I think I've heard that 40 out of 45,000 or so mobile home parks were probably run by mom and pop operators. They don't have the knowledge or the desire or the resources to increase income and maximize value. And so you can pay them top dollar for what they have. But it's sort of like that Michelangelo quote, you know, he said that inside, he said the sculpture, the sculpting is already inside the rock. He just has to chisel away the superfluous material. And that's what a great operator can do. They can take something that's, you know, that looks like just a rock and they can turn it into something beautiful. And so we recommend you look for a great operator who knows how to add value, who knows where the deficiencies are and who can even, you know, bring mobile homes into vacant slots and who has the, have the resources to fund that or have the connections to, you know, get the debt to fund that. And who are able to grow the park that way. And there's all kinds of other things to do as well, as you know. That was fantastic. Can we rewind a little bit and go back to vetting an operator? Because we just had an episode on this 
go live last week and I gave 10 reasons, but maybe you can elaborate on maybe like the top three questions to ask an operator, you know, and, and just, just general ways you would vet an, an operator. I mean, obviously track record has like reviewing their track yeah. record has been one of the top things that, you know, many operators and many investors have said on the podcast. Uh, but maybe you can kind of dig into that a little bit more for us. Yeah. So I'd like to know about their track record, how long they've been doing it, how long they've been in real estate, how long they've been in this business. I'd like to know about their team. Are they a cohesive team or are they scattered people all over the country who, you know, just really met over Zoom? I like to do a gut check on them. I like to know about their character. That actually overtakes everything in my mind because Andrew, as you know, uh, a, a bad operator can make a great deal go south and a great operator can rescue a mediocre deal. And so I really wanna know about the character. Look, let's face it, there's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be unexpected stuff. And you have to ask yourself, is this the kind of person that I want to be in trouble with for perhaps the next decade? Because there's going to be trouble and you're going to want to know, do you really trust this person? And this is the hardest thing. I want to see an alignment between the left and the right brain in my, on my team. In other words, if all the boxes are checked, but I have this uneasy feeling, this gut check that's just not working out, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to run away from this. And I've learned this through painful experience. I've had so many deals where everything made sense and the upside was really good, especially when the upside's really good. <laughs> we don't want to believe that something might be wrong. And Andrew, I hope I don't come across wrong here, but often guys, you and me are guys, right? Uh, we, the gut check comes in the voice and it sounds like the voice of our wife. Uh, often if we're, if you're married or if you have a significant woman in your life, expose them to all of the deal and especially the operator, if you can get them in front of them and ask them, do they have some funny feeling? Because honestly, I think guys tend to do one part of the equation, right? There's three parts of the investing equation. Number one, how much can I make? And no offense to anybody, but that's what the amateur investor says. That's what I said for years back around 2000. I lost a lot of money. How much can I make? Question two needs to be asked as well. And that is, how much could I lose? And the real mature investor asks question three, and that is, can I afford that loss? And it's really important to do all that. And sometimes we tend to look at question one and focus on that. But the gut check thing would say, okay, let's look at question two and three. And do I really trust this person? Really, really trust this person deeply. I, uh, I remember once I was trying to buy a car and I was driving down a, a highway near us, a 460. It was a four lane. And I saw the exact car I wanted on the side of the road at a car lot. And I pulled off and I, was, I took a test drive. And I was like, oh man, this is it. This is a great car. And I was asking the owner of the car lot. I go, oops, I got to go. I said, my wife expects me for dinner in 40 minutes and I got to go. And he said, just tell her you ran into traffic. And I said, thank you. And I left. That was it. Never spoke to the guy again because I can't trust a guy who would tell me to lie to my wife like flippantly like that, you know? 
Wow. That's such an interesting way to put it. And, you know, many people have mentioned that gut feeling and how that is a, a, a tall tale sign of whether a deal is going to work or not. And it's so, you know, it's not concrete. It's so kind of up in the air. And that's what's kind of scary is because, you know, before you invest, you know, a, a substantial amount of money, you'd like to have something more concrete that you can, you know, rest your head that, that this person has your best interests, you know, uh, in heart. So uh, I like your, I like your three questions. That's really, that's really good. So thanks for sharing those. You bet. So Paul, maybe you can describe, you know, at Wellings Capital and, you know, what, how your deals are structured, because uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but you guys invest in other operators. So mm -hmm. you do this on a consistent basis where you are vetting operators to see if if they're a good fit for your fund is that right yeah so when we expanded into self-storage and mobile home parks a number of years ago um, we were looking around and we noticed that some operators you know i, I i'm friends with perry marshall he wrote the 80 20 book on sales and marketing 80 20 sales and marketing and he said that he told me that 80-20 investing, 80-20 life business is fractal. I said, what's that mean? He said that the top 80%, excuse me, the top 20% of the top 20, let's say the top 4%, gets the top 80 of the top 80%, so the top 64% of the results. And we noticed when we got into self-storage and mobile home parks that there were some operators that seem to achieve much better results than others. And they seem to have, you know, just a, a great, and they just seem to be able to find deals that very few other people could find. And so we said, you know, I don't think we're going to get to that level. It was, you know, 2017, 18 or so. And we were saying, you know, it looks like a recession's coming. This boom has just gone on for like, what, nine years now. And we really felt like, you know, we're just not going to get to that great world-class level like these top operators. Why don't we start vetting them? Why don't we become a due diligence partner to the 150 or so investors we had at the time and say, look, we're going to go out and trace down the very best operators, the very best deals, and we're going to put together a diversified fund. We're going to give you access to different asset types, that's self-storage and mobile home parks, different operators, different geographies, and even different strategies and timeframes. And by doing that, we're going to give you the upper hand in not having to do all that due diligence that we absolutely think you should do, but we know you don't have the time or the resources and maybe the knowledge to do that. And so that's what we've done. We're getting ready to finish up our third fund and um where our goal is to you know be able to find operators that provide a stable predictable income and also uh appreciation it's great yeah so it's a the fund of fund model maybe you could tell us a little bit about your first two funds and and how they have performed yeah so the first fund it turned out to be so it was the wellings income fund one Okay. We invested with three operators who we really like, and uh, our goal is to provide an 8% annual cash on cash return from operations, plus an additional 7 or 8% appreciation annually. And um, we're right on track with that. Uh, as far as the uh, operations, excuse me, the cash flow from operations, we're right on track with what we planned. 
the appreciation has come in faster than we expected uh, on paper for sure. But even with the sale of a number of assets recently uh, in fund one that actually produced quite a, a higher um, appreciation, quite a, a lot more growth than we planned. We had the happy task of trying to figure out, do we reinvest these funds or do we, um, do we distribute them to uh, the investors? And so we had to do some of both. Wellings Income Fund 2 started about a year ago at the beginning of 2020, and it is the same model we invest in the same types of operators, same types of properties, same type of projections, and we're right on track with that as well. We also have a growth fund, which ended up investing in a ground up and a steep value add self-storage. Then when COVID hit, we decided to not invest in any more deals because the, the risk and the uncertainty of you know, a ground up development just seemed really scary as COVID was unfolding last year. And we have an additional fund, it's called a Delaware Statutory Trust. And I don't know that we have time to get into that. The bottom line is for people who are looking for a 1031 exchange into another property, but they don't want to actively manage the property, the Delaware Statutory Trust is an asset that allows them to 1031, keep their 1031 intact, but hand all over all the operations to somebody else to manage it. So it's basically a syndication for 1031 in exchange investors. So that's the uh, the other asset that we did. So we we had we've had a number of mobile home parks and self storage facilities sell. One that sold recently is quite notable. If you want to talk about, it, I could tell you the story. Yeah, I would love you know like a case study. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So we went to Louisville, Kentucky, with an operator uh, 14 months ago. It was in January of 2020. And we visited a park there. It had 311 pads, uh, 50 or so were vacant. Unfortunately, the owner had passed away five years before and his wife had no interest in, or you know, she just had not visited the park at all. So it, it sat there for at least five years. And we're talking a large park, 311 spots. The manager fortunately was well-paid and she did a great job. But like I said, as a mom and pop operator, she didn't have you know, the resources, the desire, the knowledge to really upgrade and to maximize income and value. And so there were 50 vacant pads. <laughs> the water and sewer and, and trash were paid by the park. And the lot rents were 25 to 35% below market value. I don't think she'd raise them in all those years that I know of. So anyway, uh, it was acquired for $7.1 million. And that was about half debt and half equity. Uh, six days later, that was February, February 25th, uh, got an offer, uh, a written offer for $9 million and a verbal follow-up of $9.5 million for that. And the operator, I said, well, man, that's like a 68% return on equity in a week. You're going to take it? He's like, no, no, I'm not even going to counter. He said, with all this potential upside, I think we can get it to 12 or 13 million, maybe even 14 within three years. And so he passed the utilities back to the tenants by submetering the utilities. He did a modest increase in rent. He's not going to go 25 or 35%, obviously, 
but he did a modest increase in rent. And he made plans to start filling up those 50 vacant pads. But in August, he got an offer from another great operator who saw the potential of you know, filling these 50 pads and doing other upgrades. And there's actually some acreage out front, I mean, acres and acres of land right in front of the road that was vacant. And I honestly thought it would be a great spot for boat and RV parking or possibly even some self-storage. Well, I don't know if the buyer saw that potential or not, but anyway, he made an offer. And like I said, there was three and a half million cash in at 3.6 million debt, 7.1 million. And he thought he could get it to 12 million maybe. Uh, got an offer for 15 million and uh, accepted that offer. The three and a half million equity in 10 months later came out as about 11 and a half million equity out. And we clo he closed on it in December. And um, that was, uh, you know, that was one of the decisions we had to make. Like, what are we going to do with all this cash? We're one year into a 10 year fund. <laughs> yeah, that's a, the home run type of deal that you, you hope for, man. That's yeah, right. fantastic. One year. That's yeah. great. And, and where, where are you, you know, you asked me earlier, why is a multifamily in, uh, author, inve you know, investing in mobile home parks now? Where else, where in the world in a part in the apartment realm, are you going to get a deal like that? I, I would challenge anybody to find one deal like that in the whole United States in multifamily, you know? And if you look at it, you know, the upside that was, was in, you know, put to work, it was very reasonable, right? You, you yeah. put sub meters on, you know, that you, you could probably do that. I mean, on 300 trailers, you know, you, you could probably do that really quickly. It, it wasn't like this was a, a huge year long right. project, you know, you, right. uh, it's, it's just, that's where the benefit in this asset class comes in is because like you said earlier, the majority of these assets are owned by mom and pops that are just leaving meat on the bone, you know, right. and, and they don't need it to be maxed out. And uh, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that, Paul. That, that's Absolutely. awesome. And Andrew, I know you have deals like that too. And um, man, I'm just so excited to be joining you in this asset class. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're a little bit smaller of a, of a fish, I would say, uh, compared to those big, big deals, but uh, still, you know, similar returns and, and so forth. And that's, that's exciting, you know, to, to be able to create that. Somebody uh, asked me this morning, you know, look, our institutionals, they, they used to want like three or 400 pads. Now they seem to be going down to the hundred pad level. Where's the future in this? And I think the future is right where you are, Andrew. And I hope your investors appreciate what you're doing, you know, with these, I believe it's what 50 and a hundred lot mobile home parks. Those are going to be institutional targets in five or 10 years. And you're positioning yourself very, very well for the future, I think. I appreciate that. That's that's what we feel strongly about, and we're able to transact in that range currently, and uh, you know, stay away from some of the the bigger fish that you know have a lower cost of capital. So uh, yeah. it's exciting. Paul, yeah. tell me, what would you say the what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes? Yeah, you know, I think that that one in Louisville had a lot of those uh, components there. You know, I mean, it, it had, so I didn't, I barely touched on this, but the vacant land, I think that that could be very valuable. I mean, I mean I'm not saying that, you know, NIMBYism, of course, you know, local governments and local communities don't want to expand mobile home parks, but I think, so I think it'd be hard to expand. 
but um, you know, maybe self-storage or boat or RV parking. It was just in a perfect location where I could have imagined that. Uh, having the uh, vacant pads, you know, having a high demand area where it was in Louisville had a lot of demand. Having all the vacant pads. Now that's a heavier lift, obviously, than adding utility, you know, meters and sub-metering water and sewer. But you know, sub-metering water and sewer—that's a big one. Having lot rents that are under, you know, underpriced, uh, under value, under market. Just you know, maybe even a place that where the people don't, the tenants haven't felt really cared for. I mean, yeah. look, let's face it they're probably going to be stuck there. They're not going to spend five or 6,000 to move their mobile home down the street to save 50 bucks a month or because they don't like the manager. I think it would be awesome to be able to bring in ethics and love and to treat, even if you are raising their rent and passing utilities back, I mean, to fix those potholes, to set up that playground, to set up that, you know, that dog bark park, all those things to make their life uh, a better place. I mean, look, you and I, Andrew, probably can remember our childhood home. We can probably look back fondly on where we grew up, where we had that puppy or whatever. Well, these mobile home parks that, you know, some people say it's, these are just metal boxes that spit out cash. Well, I don't think it's that way at all. These are someone's childhood home. And so I think if we can find a place where we could really meaningfully increase the lifestyle of people and give them better memories, I think that's worth something, don't you? Oh, 100%. And meaningful work is, is way, it's way more, it's about way more than just the money and, you know, being able to give, uh, it's a win-win, right? Because the nicer the community, this is what people I don't think understand, but the nicer the community is, the better the financing that you as a park owner is going to be able to acquire, right? Mm -hmm. Like Fannie and Freddie, the agencies, they don't lend on parks that are, you know, ran by slumlords. Right. You have to have it at a certain level. And right. that's why it's, it's a really cool, you know, marriage uh, for the residents and then also for investors. Yes. Uh, but Paul, where do you see, you know, us, the economy going, you know, obviously there's a lot of stimulus going on coming out of COVID uh, there's, you know, this vaccine, there's, there's this vaccine that's being, being pushed out. Uh, a lot of people that I listen to are saying that there's going to be massive amounts of inflation and just what, where do you see the economy going in general? And then how do you see mobile home parks weathering the potential storm? I have a Saturday show on bigger pockets and last March through June, I think I changed the name of the show to recession. Wait, panic investing, recession investing, crisis investing 101. And, you know, I, I've been wrong a lot. I mean, look, I've got a podcast called How to Lose Money After All. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, Warren Buffett said, you know, the only thing we can tell about for, the, the, the best thing about forecasts is we can learn something about the forecaster. We can't really <laughs> learn anything about the future. And so if Ray Dalio and you know, Warren Buffett and Howard Marks and Charlie Munger and those guys have said, look, we don't believe in forecasting. I, I just have to say, I just don't know what I don't know about the future. That said, I don't see how we're going to avoid inflation. I mean, look, when you, I'm just making up this number, but if you double the number of dollars chasing the same amount of goods, that's, isn't that the definition of inflation? It just seems to me that we're in for a really, really difficult time. 
in the American economy. Listen to me forecast after I said I wouldn't. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I just got to believe that there's a really, really difficult time ahead. And I really believe that, look, if, if when people get bounced out of their house, their large house to a smaller or a rental house to an apartment or a park, where are they going to go? Well, their next step is a mobile home park. And the next step below that is under a bridge. And so we don't want to see that happen to anybody. And I think mobile home parks are going to be incredibly, incredibly well positioned for the upcoming, likely upcoming storm uh, in the U.S. economy. What do you think? Yeah, we just had an interview with Frank Rolf, and oh, yeah. he had he made one point that I've just told everybody that I've met and spoken with since that. Okay, and he said that most down. he said most recessions. Uh, people don't realize this, but most recessions happen during the first year of a new president. And that resonated really? with me. That resonated with me. And, and I've, uh, you know, I've, I've taken precautionary measures to, to just kind of be aware. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, see what the future holds. Uh, Paul, what do you think about, uh, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage? And, you know, I've, t- I've spoken with some people that think that would help mobile home park residents. Other, people's, other people think it will hurt mobile home park residents as people kind of go to more, you know, robotic kind of labor. What's your, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I'm not a fan of artificially getting involved, you know, of governments artificially getting involved in what's worked so well uh, in, through the process of capitalism. So, um, you know, I, I don't really know what it would do to mobile home park, uh, the mobile home park world, but it seems to me, like you said, you mentioned robotics and such. I think it'll probably push, um, you know, a higher unemployment number, uh, maybe a higher systemic unemployment, which is even worse. Yeah, and, and increasingly more popular artificial intelligence, you know, as as that's a hot hot topic nowadays. I think it would kind of just expedite that, as right. uh, kind of as COVID expedited. Uh, you know, people working remotely and, and right. other ways. So right. very interesting. Well, Paul, thank you so much. I know we're kind of running long here. How can listeners get a hold of you uh, if they would like to you know, reach out? Yeah, they can reach out to me at my website. It's wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S. C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. And if they're interested, I've got a commercial investing e-course there that's free they can tap into just to learn how to jump from residential into commercial real estate investing. That's fantastic. Paul, do you have one more tip for all those passive investors out there interested in the space? Yeah, it's kind of a broader tip and that is this. It's really important to know the difference between investing and speculating. I criticized myself from 20 years ago by saying, you know, that I thought I was a full-time investor. I was more of a full-time speculator. And it's really, really important to know the difference. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Mobile home park investing is really investing because you've got principal tied up in land in infrastructure, sometimes in mobile homes. And so it is generating a profit. You know, true wealth is owning assets that generate cash flow. 
And that's why I love mobile home parks. Paul Samuelson was the first Nobel Peace Prize winner from the US in economic sciences. He was talking about speculating versus true investing. And he said, investing should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. <laughs> I love that, Paul. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, that's all we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there. <laughs>